Hi, this is this is Andy and Mavis post-recording. The energy is different. Hello. We get into a lot of very heavy subjects in this episode, including sexual assault, rape, um, genocide, and we felt like it behooved us to put a content warning for those things at the beginning of this episode because um, it's it's we don't get like you know graphic about it but we do mention it a lot and if that makes you uncomfortable or it's just not something you want to go through today uh, we would advise you to just just skip this one also you shouldn't look up the history for mutiny on the bounty yeah. it should it, the same disclaimer applies yeah yes absolutely um but otherwise um thank you for listening we really appreciate uh you guys checking us out you all you'll get this Christian Fletcher. That's what he sounded like, right? Yeah. The year is 1936, and I will conquer it. I will conquer 1936. <laughs> you'll see. You'll see, Fletcher. Fletcher. You think that'll work? You think that's good? Yeah, that's good. I had a lot of energy in it. Uh, do you know what happened? In 1936? In 1936? No. Did it happen one night in 1936? It did not happen one night in 1936. What happened in 1936? Harry Hemsworth, you know, you don't. He was a, <laughs> he was just some like lab doctor who was not famous. Uh, but he did discover uh, the two different types of diabetes, which meant that they could eventually be treated because until now we treated them the same. What? Oh, okay. So we knew diabetes existed. We knew diabetes existed. But we didn't know that there were two kinds. Yeah. Um, something else that happened in 1936 is that Alan Turing submitted his thesis on computable numbers for publication in which he set up the theoretical basis for all modern computers. Nice. We stand a gay icon. Please do not read up on the life of Alan Turing. It is incredibly sad. <laughs> it is one of the most depressing things that you can ever read. Yeah. But he was a cool dude. With an all right movie. I, that, that He had nothing to do with that. He didn't know. <laughs> But do you know what else happened in 1936? It happened when it happened in 1936? No. Mutiny on the Bounty won Best Picture. Oh. And it would be, I believe, the final movie to win Best Picture and not win in any other major categories. Do you know what else it would be? One of the Criterion's collections, 100 movies of all time. Top 100 movies of all time. Oh boy. Let's go. Where do we start with Mutiny on the Bounty? With our names. Hello. <laughs> I'm your critic, Mavis Evergreen. I'm going to talk about feminism and the sea and the Tahitian culture. And usually I don't talk about two of those things. <laughs> Uh, my name is Andy Reyes. I will be your other critic, and I will primarily be talking about film history, um, film, and like also just how films are made. Um, and I also try to talk about um, you know socialist issues and how they pertain to the movies that we watch. And boy, <laughs> boy howdy, who boy, who boy, do Ooh we boy. have? We got a lot of issues with. Uh, I believe this is the final film by director Frank Lloyd decided to go out with an even smaller whimper than he started with. I feel like we can just say it. If 
The movie is directed by Frank, Lo- Frank, Frank Lloyd Webber. It's if you've made if you've made the mistake before, it's not it's a callback, not a mistake. <laughs> this is our final movie directed by Frank Lloyd. And if you would like to remember the other movie we've seen, it was Cavalcade, a movie that made me so angry to the point of tears. Would you like to give me a synopsis? I would love to. Adjust bow tie. Muni on the Bounty, 1936, directed by Frank Lloyd, starring Clark Gable and Charles Lyon. The petty and abusive Captain Bly takes the bounty out on a two-year voyage in which he will kill four sailors and collect breadfruit from Tahiti. It's important to me, Mavis, that you know that the breadfruit is cheap food for slaves. Lieutenant Fletcher speaks for and supports the sailors after having a quick lay in Tahiti and collecting the slave fruit. He decides to do a mutiny. They kick Bly off the ship, but then he conquers the sea and chases the mutineers around some. Bly also picks up some non-mutineers who got misplaced in the chaos, but sends them to prison anyway. The rich boy with the title does not get hung. Slut. I... I would also like to point out that it is important to me as well <laughs> the, that, that the breadfruit that they are collecting is specifically for uh, cheap food for slaves. I want to talk about the few things about this movie that I like before we really get into it. Because once we get into it, like it's a nonstop roller coaster of fuck this movie town. So we're going to start off on the incline to the top of that mountain. So we're just going to run towards scenes we liked and then... All downhill. I wouldn't say even scenes we liked. I just think aspects of this movie that I thought were nice, and then scenes we liked we'll get to because I I think those are separate. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the aspects of this movie that I liked is this is one of the few movies in which they shot it on an actual full size boat. Like, they're not like actually out in the open ocean. Uh, Like, you can very easily tell whenever it's like a storm that they're just like dudes right off screen just throwing buckets at these guys. But it's awesome. Like, I haven't seen, I'm trying to think of a movie that I've seen recently that, like, required boats. And I guess the most recent one is Pirates of the Caribbean. And even towards the later ones of those movies, the sets really kind of start to show their, when as they start relying more and more on CGI and less and less on sets, their lack of scale. Um, but I really it was really cool watching this and being able to just see off the bat, like, oh, this is like a real boat that they're using. Uh, and that apparently they really foundered uh, for the scene in the movie where they like just throw it at a bunch of rocks. I think it's really cool. You don't really see that anymore. And is there anything else about this movie that we like? Uh, uh, the people who play indigenous women are not from Tahiti. No. But are actually women of color. Mm, we ha- you got One of them is Hawaiian and the other one is Hispanic. <laughs> Which is of a color. <laughs> it, it is. It is one of those things where it is like, ah, this is worse to me. Fair. Because it 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 implies a sort of like copy paste. Mm. Like mm. it doesn't actually matter if we get a person who's Tahitian or Hawaiian or Mexican or even Polynesian would have been Polynesian. better. Polynesian, like no, it doesn't matter as long as they're vaguely brown leaning. Then I just was happy no one was in brown face. Well, that's not true. But my standard should still be higher. (laughs) That is, is, while he is not wearing makeup, the fact that they did get a British dude to play the king of the Tahitians 
So let's talk about this parts of the movie that we don't like, which is all of it. Um, this movie is boring as shit. Do you spend a solid one and a half hours of this movie and there's no mutiny? Not one. Not one. There's only one mutiny in the movie. Um, there is a point in the movie in which you will think there will be two mutinies, but you will be wrong. There are not two mutinies. God, I was so excited for a second mutiny. Yeah, uh, the first hour of this movie seems like it's going to be actually pretty fine because you're like, well, just a bunch of white dudes on a boat. It's very hard to be offensive when you're just a bunch of white, white dudes, dudes on, on a boat. boat. It's It was honestly kind of re- relaxing. It was boring. Like, it was boring. But... It was nice, and it was one of those things where I was like, the the complacency that I feel is solely because there are only white faces on the screen, and so I know nothing's going to get fucked up too bad. And then, like, the moment we arrive at Tahiti... Things get fucked up real bad. We are, like, blasted from the side by the number of racist cannons that this movie decides to just aim at you. Um, I want to... That's a sad joke. We'll, that, we'll get that. We can't get there too soon because we have to talk about this movie we first. We have to talk about the movie first. Uh, another thing that I feel the need to mention, um, I think this has come up before, but I have face blindness. And it is very, very hard to tell these people apart from each other. At one point, I was like, that person's missing a button. That's how I know that's Charles. That person puts his hat to the side. That's Jennifer. Like, no one in this it, movie is named Jennifer. Yeah, never before since All Quiet on the Western Front have you been so befuddled by just who anyone was at any given point in time. And like All Quiet on the Western Front, I believe there was one actor who was just so unique looking that as soon as he arrived, you were, I was like, that's Charles Lofton. And you were like, oh, that guy I can keep track of because he's like, he's got a different posture to everyone else. And he also has, has a very, he's a, he's a character actor. He has a very unique looking um a way of like holding himself and also like acting with his face that I think a lot of boring, just classically handsome classically men. handsome men just don't bother doing. Hello, it's me, handsome man, the Clark Gable. Yeah, Clark Gable back again. Back again. The there was I think thirty minutes into this movie, we once again fell like into the like God, this guy is charming. Mm-hmm. He has something, and then again, once we get to Tahiti, it's like all gone again we're like fuck this guy the minute a woman walks into clark gable's arms he becomes the most detestable man you've ever met yes absolutely and this 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 movie has i think this movie has two like aside from the stuff that we're going to get into later in regards to like its portrayal of indigenous culture and also just like the historical mad historical inaccuracy the historical inaccuracy of like like the like our our relationship with Tahiti and Tahitian culture, um, excluding that, just looking at the film as a as a functioning story, it has so many problems. It's Pacing, it's, it's oh my god, boring, and uh, on but on top of that, like the functional theme of this movie just does not work. Well, the functional theme of this movie is classist. Like this, this is another movie in which. Clark Gable's whole character, his name is Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher's whole thing is that he's like this representative for the poor. Um, And he's like lower class, but he worked his way up. He can't get higher than lieutenant. And so it's like profiteering off of this idea of like, well, you should you should feel bad for the poor and you should support them or whatever. But then like the end moral of the movie is this rich boy giving like this speech about like oh we shouldn't treat 
British, beautiful British sailors like slaves, which again we should reserve is repeated that. so much. And like the innuendo was like, well, we should, it's fine for we the sh- slaves. We should reserve that treatment specifically for black and brown people. But our white boys, our white sailors, we got to treat our white boys like white boys. Yeah. So that's, that's a whole bunch it, of bananas. It is but then wild. He like that speech happens. He gets to live and the poor people still die. They still hang. And it's just like, what and, is the moral of this movie? What, like, what does this and, and and like even going beyond like 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 digging into the characters of Fletcher and mm-hmm. Bly, who are who are the two just like forces of will that are pitted against each other, right? Mm-hmm. One of them is supposed to represent authoritarianism, and the other one is supposed to rent in uh, rep- rent is supposed to represent <laughs> the other one does rent. Thank he you. He does rent. Um, one of them represents authoritarianism. That's Captain Bly, and the other one represents uh, individualism, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie really seems to land. I don't think it means to, but it really seems to land on, well, authoritarianism is bad, but it is better than just letting all these poor people do whatever they want, right? Yeah. And and because it, it, there is a solid 30 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. where we watch Captain Bly do something he has never done before up until this point, mm-hmm. which is be a functional leader and he does something that is possibly the most amazing thing that this movie shows us. He opens he opens sails a a rowboat through the sea for 3600 miles. That's fucking amazing. A real life historical thing that happened. But when your villain does that shit, yeah. you're really kind of just left going, "Well, who am I supposed to cheer for?" I don't want to cheer for the guy who's kidnapping Tahitian women. And I don't that doesn't happen in the movie. It only happens in real life. It kind of happens in the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it is it not ca- depicted that way in the movie. It's not depicted that way in the movie, but like, uh, right, like, uh, 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 I, do I cheer for the guy who did a mutiny and then... Had nowhere to go with that steam who was kind of against the mutiny to begin with. I think Clark Gable is in the weird position of he's this like representative for these sailors, but he also is like an authoritarian figure. And he doesn't really want a mutiny because he's trying to have like this cake and eat it too. Like I'm just a nice, charming guy. And so it's not really even opposition, right? It's just like, well, I've literally been dragged to this point. So I guess I'll do a mutiny. And it's part of why the mutiny in this movie is so unsatisfying is because this captain is like comically evil. And even when the mutiny happens, only half of the sailors join in. And it's like, it's bananas. It it should have been, it should have been all of them. Yeah. And I think part of that problem is Clark Gable. I think Clark Gable, as an actor, is too much of an individualist to be a leader, in a like like to be a believable leader, right? I like, think another part of it though is he has to be charming and like the good guy, right? And he is restricted by what society's viewpoint of good is at the time, so he just has to kind of be like this nice middle manager who doesn't want to get in the way that much, but also doesn't want people to die. And it's like, by not making a stance, he's just a boring character who doesn't do a lot. No, he like, and so you end up leaving this movie being really angry at it because like the bad guy is not, is like comically evil and gets like no repercussions, except at the end of the movie, somebody doesn't shake his hand. Boo is he. Boo is he. And like the good guy does all of this terrible shit, but like he doesn't even choose to do it. He just kind of pushed into it right yeah and not only that he gets to 
be happy and on a beautiful paradise island with his wife. Wife. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you, if you, we'll get to it. Um, and and if you read up on the like actual historical event that happens, which again we'll get to, there is a much more interesting story there when you when you realize that if if you make these two characters what they were in real life, which was they were both kind of terrible people. I think you could still tell an interesting story where two terrible people are the only choices you have are, as and, the sailors and the battle of wills between them. Right. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you don't care if one of the people is good and the other one's bad. What you want to see is you want to see two like actors go two toe to toe. Yeah. Two characters just like duke it out like yeah. on, on the big screen. And I, I'm trying to think of a movie that's done this. None of the movies we've watched. None of the this. movies that we've watched have done this. By by trying to translate what, what this incredibly complex historical event into a clearly black and white hero story, it what it ends up coming out as is shallow. Yeah, just a weird shallow classic story of like, or, oh well, if you are rich and you have titles, you will succeed always, yeah. and if you are poor, well. You should be poor and charming and lucky, and maybe you'll get to live on an island with a woman you stole. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? No. Are we okay. good? Can we talk about it now? I think I don't. I don't really have anything else to talk about with this movie because it's it's two and a half hours of just nothing, really, except for the really really bad stuff. I'm ready. Cool. So. <laughs> It's just so hard not to talk about the bad stuff because it's like the only parts of this movie that that I think about, right? When the movie's done, those are the parts of the movie I ruminate on mm-hmm. and I kind of forget everything else. Yeah. So we spend a lot of this movie in Tahiti, which is not what you or I would have expected. In fact, I thought they were going to mutiny before they got to Tahiti. I and was very did, surprised I, when we arrived. I did not expect them to arrive on Tahiti. And then once we did, I did not expect to spend more than half of the movie there. Yeah. So let's give some important historical context to how these people are depicted. I do. Before we start, I do want to stress just kind of a thing that you have to stress anytime you do something like this, that neither me nor Mavis are Tahitian. No. Uh, neither of us are Polynesian. No. We have no skin in the game when it comes to talking about this stuff. We are going to talk about this stuff because it matters. But like always, you should strive to look for accounts told by people of those cultures uh, where it counts. Um, and while we're here, so obviously I read up on it, as you do. It is very hard to read up about Tahiti specifically. There isn't a lot of written accounts from Tahitian people because a lot of their histories were oral and turns out when you get conquered by the French people aren't super interested in you telling your stories however that doesn't mean those stories aren't worth looking for and the book I ended up reading was by Edward Dodds who did a series on Polynesian islands so if you know something about Edward Dodds that I don't like cool yeah but he, he is kind of the source that we found. I would also like to stress that like or very similar to Native American culture in the United States, Polynesian culture has a very has a very long history, especially in cinema, of being homogenized. Um, and, and I do want to stress that there are hundreds, if not thousands of variations, right? Like one for every island of, of, of what it means to be Polynesian. And again, those are all stories worth telling and they are not being told by this movie and they are definitely not being told in Hollywood. So keep that in mind. Uh, But we're going to talk about some shit 
Yeah, and Tahiti is the island represented here, so it is the island uh, we will talk, talk about. about. <sighs> There's so much history, I now know, but I will keep it to what pertains to this movie. Tahiti was discovered pretty soon after Europe had gone through a brunch of war, specifically with France. And so the people who discovered it decided to use Tahiti as this weird metaphor in their news of like, oh, you should still be hopeful and you shouldn't be so cynical because we found an Eden-like garden and there are still beautiful places. And so Tahiti got forced into this weird infantilized role of like these beautiful natives that live in this splendorous rich place and they're just so dumb because they've had privilege their whole lives and this this is a thing that you do see historically done a lot which is you see a lot of these historical writers whenever a a new culture a new place is discovered trying to equate it to the biblical eden right to use it as sort of a an as an example of what white of, of what white culture should aspire to even if all of those things that they're writing about are patently false (laughs) <laughs> and often, again, very just infantilizing, very derogatory, very taking away of their culture and mm-hmm. of the fact that they are like grown adults who have their own wars and violence and things. And speaking of violence, um, when Tahiti was discovered, they the people who like found it didn't settle, but they like landed there and the Tahitians were kind of OK with it for a little bit. And then they're like, hey, we would like for you to leave now. We're going to attack you because you landed here out of nowhere and are now just like eating our food and shit. We're not down with that. What the English did was they got back on their boat and then they shot cannons at them from the safety of the sea. I got to say typical white person move to just come into your house, eat your food and then leave and shoot you with a gun on their way out. Yeah. Uh, And so just like decimated a huge part of their population. That's how I spend every Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to put some liberty in there. I'm sorry. Uh, but what this meant is that the Tahitian people learned that like, hey, if we act in violence, they have better like weapons than we do. And we can't do anything about them firing at us from a thousand miles away on a boat. <laughs> so what we're going to do instead is uh, send canoes full of women and fruit so that they won't kill us. And that made them kind of just a hot spot to pick up chicks on the the oceans. And it also means that the Tahitians in this film and in the culture at the time get depicted as just like real dumb, wanton, sexually promiscuous objects (laughs) and and this is again this is like not a thing that is like strictly tahitian this is a a, a kind of a problem amongst a lot of indigenous cultures but it was a problem during like the fighting with japan in world war ii yeah this it, it is a thing that you see time and time again which is that you have like whenever people are being colonized right the hand of imperialism like finds a culture you you got to do whatever you can to survive and a lot of this a lot of the answers for that is a lot of times to just throw women at the problem yeah to just you know throw women at the problem and it's it sucks and it's definitely like there are like deeper like reasons for why that happens right but like what i would like to say here if Mm -hmm. i want to without saying it so like shittily if i can the tahitians only did that because the only other choice was to be genocided yeah. And I don't think anyone at any point in history can walk into that room and tell you which choice is more 
morally correct. And that, that is not the purpose of this, right? Is to talk about what it, what the correct choice was, right? Like at the end of the day, the true evil, the wrong that was done to the Tahitians was not what they did about it. It was the fact that these colonizers, British or French would come here and take advantage of that, of that fear from power over and over and over again. And with, no repercussions. No. And the reason it's important to this movie is that's how these people are depicted. They're depicted as being super dumb and easy and just an Eden of women ripe for the taking. And 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 these- how offensive that is because what these sailors did was rape. They raped these people who had no choice because if they said anything, they would be shot. And this movie sucks. <laughs> and this movie sucks so hard because at the end of the day the people that this movie is like hero- the the person mm-hmm. Christian Fletcher that this movie is trying to like portray as heroic kidnapped these women he kidnapped 14 women fun fact and i think also a handful of tahitian he, men he, as well well that's what happens when you if, kidnap well, sometimes just you, there are some men there in there he, he straight up kidnapped them like like through like tricked them into getting on his boat went somewhere else and was like, we live here now, get fucked. Literally. And like, Jesus, no. In this movie, he's depicted as marrying her and giving her his Christian last name. It's it's, very gross. It is such absolute horse shit. I, I do think it's important that we bring up, right? Like, it is not our place to pass judgment on these people whatsoever. But I also think, just another fun history fact is this happened so regularly to the Tahitian women that they would start demanding things for sex? Um, As specifically, you nails, like iron nails, because they didn't have like iron reserves on Tahiti. And so apparently it was so common that you knew like how or how good a lay was depending on how many nails they asked for. Like they were kind of a bad lay if they asked for 10 nails. A good lay if they asked for 20, and the best lay ever if they asked for a railroad spike. I don't think they were railroad spikes at the time because the railroad no, hadn't been invented yet, but, but like those like it massive. Was how it was described to me in the book was yeah, similar to. Yeah, these just like massive metal nails that they would I, use for like ship repair and stuff. Yeah, but anyways, I think that is kind of the coolest shit to be put in this bad situation I, and be like, hey, give me parts of your fucking boat. It. No, it, it, I think it, I think it's one of those things where I, I genuinely think that that is super cool uh, that, that they had. I also the, just think it humanizes these women. And absolutely. Absolutely. And like sex work is work and like demanding payment for that is like not a crime. In fact, if anything, like that's what it that to me is, I don't know, in a way better than if it was just wanton. Yeah, like, it is more empowering to them that they. That they had the that they felt like they had the power to demand yeah. payment. That's awesome, absolutely, yeah. and like power to them for demanding it because it's a bad situation through and through. But also, it's also where the phrase "get nailed" came from. Gee, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> ah, so the next time you say "get nailed," you think got, about the Tahitians. You think about them next time you say "say I got railroad spiked." <laughs> like you gotta. Value yourself more. Value yourself for what you're worth. And for some of you, that unfortunately means that you're only getting nailed. But for some of you, it means you're getting railroad spiked. Is there is there anything else that we want to talk about? I mean, I feel like we have to talk about this history. We've mentioned him kidnapping these women. Oh God! So the historical, I I encourage anybody like to honestly like Wikipedia is like isn't not the best source in the world. But if you want a good like 
two hours of Wikipedia reading, I highly recommend reading the Wikipedia article of the mute of the actual historical mutiny on the bounty because it is bananas. It's so interesting in a way that this movie is not. Um, one of the big things that I think is very interesting is that Captain Bly uh, was not a rancid evil man who like found sadistic glee in torturing and murdering poor men. Um, he was an incredibly Protestant almost Puritan, which I, I wouldn't, like, if you told him that, I'm sure he'd go off on you. Um, dude who had sailed under Captain Cook and was actually kind of lenient to a lot of his sailors. He, like, was very into, like, dance nights on the boat and stuff and very into, like, let's make sure they have jazz night yeah, and like, music. We, we gotta have music and dancing. He encouraged them to play music, like, as often as possible. Ironically, in this movie, he does yell at someone for singing. How dare you? How dare you? And, like, not only that, but he also had the really, at the time, weird practice of only enforcing three-hour watch shifts, which meant that Sailors got to sleep for a full eight-hour cycle as opposed to the standard four hours, which I think meant they only got to sleep for six. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that math works out. But like, like they, for all intents and purposes, this dude was like a super chill guy. And it wasn't until they got to Tahiti and all of these sailors started acting like horrible colonizing rapists. Yeah. But like once it got to that point, he was like, okay, I need to crack down on these motherfuckers because they're just, they're going off and I like need them to behave and these guys acted like children they were like no we want to be awful forever now so they mutinied yeah i do feel at this point it is important to mention that while captain Bly at first was very cool he became very paranoid as the as the journey went on as the journey went on in a way that hints to me that maybe like he had some other shit going on so he progressively got more, more and more tyrannical. Um, uh, I, I I think the 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 there and there's like some mention on like if you yeah. read through like the um if you read through some of the historical uh, accounts, a lot of historians believe that he had some form of I think it was bipolar. bipolarism. Yeah. He was noted as being very frequently like in and out of moods, which again you can't really do anything with that historically. But I think at this point we kind of understand that like mental illness has always been around we just didn't know what to call it and yeah this guy clearly had some stuff going on like just it just for his whole life yeah like so i the, think it's important to mention like he wasn't a terrible captain but also it must a, have been a very tense boat when he was in his mood swings especially after he had decided that all of his like seamen were terrible rapists mm-hmm. and he didn't respect them <laughs> except for one christian fletcher who he thought of as his protege Put, brought this guy under his wing. He was like, damn, you're great. And like their relationship only took a turn for the worst when they stopped at Cape Cod, I believe it was, somewhere mm-hmm. in South Africa for a spell. And he had to lend Christian some money. And after that, it seems Christian was very testy with Captain Bly. The belief being that he felt that he was emasculated by the lending of money. Yeah. Um, a, a kind of a common thing at the time. Uh, which is that if somebody just lends you money, it, it it was kind of like, oh, I don't think you're capable of providing for yourself, yeah. right? Because he didn't ask Captain Bly for money. Captain Bly just came and was like, here, I'm going to lend you this money. Um, or at least that's what I that, the impression that I got from what I read. Mm-hmm. So at, when Bly was in his just super, like at the, the very, very like low end of his shittiness, he would publicly humiliate Christian, like 
in front of like everyone, the Tahitians, his crew, he'd just be like, look at this fucking guy. I lent him money. What a biscuit. And, <laughs> and yeah, I feel, I feel like anybody eventually, you know, going through some of that would eventually be like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm going to mutiny this guy. I don't care. I don't care how much of a protege I am. Yeah. The historical, like the actual historical person that was Captain Bly is so much more interesting and so I much more think... worth the three the the scene right that scene of him doing the open sea yeah. navigation is so much more visceral when you realize like the kind of person who did it. I think Fletcher is less interesting than the movie makes him out to be in a more interesting way because mm-hmm. he is just kind of like a selfish like one of the boys and like he mutinied because he was tired of being made fun of, not because he cared about the treatment of other people, not because. Like <laughs> any of the other things, right? Because yeah, he fell in love. <laughs> and it's, I think it is a more interesting story. You can talk about the humanity, right? Of like you and your boys against this captain who isn't a great person. But the duality, right? Of two bad people is a much more interesting story than two good people. No, absolutely. And I also think that, I think this movie has a rot in it from the historical, from the, um, I, not, not historical, but from the public perception of, mm-hmm. of the event as it happened. I think there is something, there is something romantic about a guy, especially at this time mm-hmm. when like the Royal British Navy was one of the biggest mi- mi- uh, militaristic forces in the world mm-hmm. that somebody not only mutinied within that system, but effectively got away with it. They never found him again. He died. He died. He was murdered. Well, I wouldn't say murdered, but he was murdered. I would murdered. say... He got his comeuppance. He got his comeuppance. He was he was he was murdered, and then the island that he uh, was on became a Christian cult. And I really wish I could get more into that, but I I genuinely don't know more other than it became a weird Christian cult. That the the descendants of Fletcher they're still there. It's there's like forty six people on that island. I, those are forty six people from like the same fourteen people. Yeah, it's wild. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I hate to be like, hey, you're incest babies, but those are incest babies. Oh, and he named his son November Thursday, I believe, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, because he didn't want to be reminded of England. While we're, while we're here, while I'm talking about how gross men are, the depiction of this doctor is such a stereotypical, like, depiction of men of like, oh, this guy is bad at his job. He's a drunk. He's incompetent as a human being. But isn't he the best of us? Didn't he always have a good laugh? And like, that's what you say about the shitty uncle no one spoke to. Like, I don't know, maybe he said something funny once. Yeah. And it's like, no, this guy sucks. I hate that this guy's the heart of the sea or whatever. Fuck this guy. Oh, yeah. He gets this whole thing yeah. where he's like sick. And then he's like, he's they're like, we you can't make him report to the deck. He's too sick from all the drinking that he's been doing. Yeah. Um, and he shows up and he's like, no, I will be here. And then he dies. Yeah. And honestly, I was like, yeah, like, come on. What do you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm. Look at this fucking guy. In real life, this motherfucker, this doctor, like murdered a dude, killed him, and then noted it down as being scurvy. Oh. Which is wild. Um, but because he lied, the captain was like, well, I don't want anyone else catching scurvy if it killed somebody this fast. So I need to institute a harsher rationing. You know. You know, because you don't want people to catch scurvy. And and a lot of times back then, that meant making dudes eat shit that they didn't want to eat. Like yeah. limes or whatever the fuck. Citrines. I don't know. Citrines. Stuff with vitamins in them. 
But like uh, at the time, actually, because the trains were too expensive, they would feed them vinegar. Vinegar. Jesus. It didn't actually help. They just thought really? like sour things. Sa- is sour like trains. Yeah. That was it. That was the logic. <laughs> oh, I bet the I bet breadfruit is like super full of vitamins and shit. Yeah, they could have just, just eaten, eaten the fruit. But um That's slave that's, food. Yeah, that food's owned by the king, George. The third, I think, still? Um, I think at this time King George the Third the Third was still around. Just hanging around. Really sad life, that guy. I mean, he was a rich king, so like not too sad. But towards the end of his life, it seems, he was just really miserable and wanted to die. And no one let him. <laughs> so it goes. Do you want to talk about these kidnappings? Because these... he did it twice. He did it? Did he do it twice? Well, the first... Okay. So our boy, our boy was like, hey, I'm just mutinied. I'm going to come back to this island. And I need more people to run the ship. Because I let a lot of them go and i didn't let some of them go because i needed them too much yeah so he went back to the island of tahiti and he was like hey king george is gonna start another colony and we need some tahitians so give them give give us tahitians in the name of king george yes and they were like here are some tahitians but then they weren't starting a colony and those people died so they went back but by the time they went back, the Tahitians had learned that they had lied about From starting a, a colony. Another British ship had made a stop at Tahiti yeah. and was like, hey, no. That's not. That's not true. Yeah. So the Tahitians are mad. And I don't know what happens between them being mad and a party happening on his boat. But I feel like you can insert violence. But he did, in fact, go back, was like, I'm going to throw a party on my ship. Yes. Have a bunch of women and a couple of dudes get on board and then sail away from them. Yes. Actively kidnapping them against Again. their will instead of lying Lent to them to and that. tricking them. And which is so it's like, that's like double. That's two kidnaps. That's at least two kidnappings. And that's like that's not even accounting for like he stopped at a bunch of other islands. Mm-hmm. Like who knows. Right. Like but he ended up on this island with like a bunch of women, a couple of Tahitian men and the rest of the crew. I don't think there were that many of them. I think there were like maybe 16 mm-hmm. when they all like total yeah and they weren't rediscovered for almost 30 years yeah also in this time the tahitian women tried to build a boat and escape and i just feel like it should be mentioned that we know that they literally tried to leave they tried oh yeah absolutely um god it sucks yeah it's but it's it sucks it is also just a much more interesting story which is the baffling thing to me is like why why change it if you're gonna change it this much why bother with the facsimile of it still being based on some sort of true story why not just write they something should have just written a whole cloth this story is so dragged down by the history of how awful people are and it is made even worse, worse. by hiding that by pretending he married a woman and not that by these sailors it. like canonically just pass these women around the romantization of these like horrible violent things i think is the thing yeah. if it was made up whole cloth if it was just a fucking treasure island i was yeah. gonna say treasure planet but because that's my that's the one i watched um if they had just done it like just done a treasure island but mm-hmm. like instead of treasure island it's like they mutiny on their way to some fake ash place yeah it would have been better because there would have been a separation there would have been a fictitiousness to it mm-hmm. by brazenly staying in the space of being historically true mm-hmm. it it's insulting yeah it's and it's whitewashing it's erasing a bit of history that is violent and it deserves to be talked about yeah, yeah. so what was your favorite scene 
Well, or, you know, we're 50 minutes in. What was your favorite scene? Could you can can you think of one? Can I think of one? I can tell you what my least favorite scene was. All right. Yeah, sure. We can do that. My too. least favorite scene is the scene in which we find out this Tahitian woman only knows one English word, and that word is yes. Oh, fuck me. I completely forgot about that. Oh. Don't Ooh. worry. The scene plays it off as being really funny. Isn't it funny? Isn't he it funny? sleeps with that woman like two minutes later. My favorite scene in the movie is when is when Captain Fletcher and Blot, Bl- not Bly. I feel like you have to say your least favorite scene first because the thing I Byer, said was so Byer. awful. I hated this whole fucking movie. I just I <laughs> like I hated this I hated this whole fucking movie. Just, like what part of what part do you want me to pick? Do you want it to be the part where all of these brown people are running at this boat and like not speaking Tahitian because they're clearly just speaking gibberish? There's a point in this movie when the white dude playing the chief of all these actually indigenous people who are acting in the background and don't get a spoken fucking line where this fucking white dude says says Latin, That's Latin, true. and passes it off at Tahitian. Is that what you want from me? I hated the whole thing. I'm sorry. We spent an hour and a half of this movie like shitting on indigenous culture, and that was the part that I hated. Thank you. The part of this movie that I liked did happen in that part, though. Oh, continue. Which is the scene in which... I feel like you're crying right now. Uh, I'm not. I'm just really like... I was, like, I was just like... I was just like, I, want, I can't. I can't. I this The whole thing... My favorite part of this movie is when Fletcher, Clark Gable, and the twink sailor boy, who's who's Fletcher's like little kid Protégé. under his wing, yeah, in the movie, who we didn't talk about because he's not really important. He's the rich kid who gets to live. Yeah, he's the rich kid who gets to live. Are hanging out on the beach mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. watching the two love interests hang out on the beach together, and they're both situated in the frame. Like on at like a mad like Greco Roman lean that if you pause the movie and ask somebody what's going on here they'd be like well those two men died single <laughs> um, because it is it they're just there you know they're just chill, they're just vibing they're just two dudes who will never get married two platonic roommates who died single that scene looks like it was drawn by my favorite magazine boy. Oh, J.C. Leyendecker. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's very much in that vein of like, this is this one's for the fellows out there. Oh, I know what my favorite scene is. My favorite scene is when your boy Byram explains capitalism to the natives. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this is how capitalism works. And they're like, that sounds like bullshit. That sounds like a bad time. Yeah. Do you wonder how old these actors are? Sure. We're, while we're here, we're in this space. It's time. I don't think we'll ever get the energy back. The I I'm mostly furious, but like it's a tired fury. All right, Charles Lofton, mm-hmm. who played Captain Bly. I he's not like classically attractive, um, which makes me like veer younger. So I'm gonna say he is 33. Charles Lofton was born in 1899. And at the time this movie was made, he was 36. Oh, that's pretty close. That's pretty close. I'll give that one to you. Now, you should have this one. You should have this one in the bag. How old is Clark Gable in this movie? It has been, what, a year? A year since we, since we, last, saw since him. we last saw him? How old was he when this movie was made? 
I remember us talking about how him and the other coworker had like actual chemistry because they were around the same age. But I do think he's older. Well, he's a year older canonically, I think. Yeah. yeah. 37. Clark Gable was born in 1901, which would have made him 34 at the time this film was made, which I believe was your guess last time was 34 and he was 33. Yeah. Dang um, it. Uh, Mamo Clark, who was who, who was the Hawaiian uh, the Hawaiian actress who played Clark Gable's love interest in the film, I do not remember her name. Well, it's Mrs. Clark Gable Isabel. at the end of the movie. I I think she's like twenty two. <laughs> Mamo Clark was born in nineteen fourteen, which would have made her twenty one. Oh, the, that is a that is an age gap of. 13 years, which is veering. We are veering. They it, canonically have sex in that movie five times. We for, we are going to see Clark Gable for like another decade. Uh, <laughs> right? So that gap's only ever going to get, gonna get, get bigger. older. Yeah. All right. Stanislaw Pascal Frenchot Tony, who mm-hmm. played Byram or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, he looks like a, like a young... A young twink. Um, so I'm going to say that he's 28. He was born in 1905, which would have made him exactly 30 when this movie was Dang. being filmed. Dang. He looks really good. He does. For 30? Like, yeah. He, he, looks, he looks like a baby. He looks like a baby. He's got a weird smile, though. Also, American. Like Something I think that should be noted is that of these three lead actors, Charles Lofton was the only British person playing a British person. Everyone else was American. Clark Gable was American. Stanislas was American. I support it. I feel like I, actors should just act like the region they're from. I think uh, Britain, I think the British accent is stupid. Mm-hmm. I think the American accent is stupid. I think more Americans should be able to play British people. I think more British people should, if they play American roles, just get to be just British. Just get to be British. Yeah, just like, like oh, I'm playing, uh, who's an American? George Washington is yeah. British now. Hello, it's me, George Washington. And this is my best friend, the uh, French Lafayette. And then an American walks in and is like, hi there, it's me, Lafayette. Lafayette. That's an Oscar award winning movie right there. I both believe in socialism and the monarchy, Lafayette. Lafayette. I'm a man of many colors and a hero of two worlds. My name is so long. <laughs> All right. Last, last one. Last actress. Maria Luisa Movida Castaneda. That's a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. Movida was her stage name. Mm-hmm. It means more life in Spanish. Nice. Or moving, depending on how you want to interpret it. <laughs> so she was the one who only knew the word yes. Also, she's Hispanic, not politician. <laughs> There's a lot happening here. Yeah. How old is she? 20. She was born in 1916, which would have made her 19. At the time of this movie's release. No, um, thank you. Which would have. No, thank you. Is a 11 year gap. I feel like we talk about age gaps a lot, but I think like age gaps are not a fixed rate. No, 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 no. Um, it, and because because like, somebody who's someone being in their teens dating someone who is 30, not in their teens, yeah, who is who, in their who's 30s. 30s is much, much grosser than someone who is like in their well 40s their... dating someone in their 30s. Absolutely. Or I, I think even like, and, and I, I think what it is, is the um, the ratio of life spent as an adult versus a child. Yeah. Like when you're 19, you've only been an adult for two years. Arguably, you've never been an adult. 
You, you really could argue that. But yeah, like somebody who's well into their 20s, dating somebody who's in their 30s, you can you can at least reasonably, depending on the person, assume that they have lived a life and that they are mature enough to make this kind of decision I without there like, being an emotional imbalance of power. Yeah. The older you get, the bigger that age gap can get. Like, I don't know if you're like a 90 dating someone who's like 60. 60 I don't give a shit. Yeah, sure. Like it's weird, but. Yeah, whatever. Some people want to. But the idea that like someone has to date Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> I don't know. That woman is single, and someone has to do it. Single and ready to mingle. She's been she's been ready to mingle. She wants to conquer you. I know you gave a very impassioned speech, but do you think this movie deserves an Oscar? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I you couldn't you you couldn't pay me to watch this movie again we're doing this for free <laughs> but like i don't want to put a feather in the cap of cimarron but there is a worth talking about difference between the portrayal of indigenous people in that movie versus their portrayal in mutiny on the bounty because i think even is cimarron at the end of the day as much as i fucking hated it that was a movie that was misguided it wanted to respect native americans and my big anger with that movie came from the misguidedness of it. It was a movie that genuinely believed that the problems were solved. And that is so fundamentally like false. Mm -hmm. And like the genocide of Native Americans in our country is still happening. But I think this movie's blatant refusal to even engage with its indigenous population as even people yeah. is, is infuriating in a much different way. It is erasing them. It is still, it, this movie is like a living document not even not a living document, but a document to the erasure of indigenous culture by colonialism. And that is also still happening today. Tahiti, Tahiti is still a colony of France. That's true. Like they are still not free. That is also true. Like I contain multitudes. I can be mad about both of these. It's things. true. <laughs> and and I... I'm not I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, right? That they're both different flavors of fucked up Yeah. Honestly, what truly angers me is that Cimarron isn't on a 100 best list movies, <laughs> but this fucking That's movie true. is. Like, That's Cimarron true. gets forgotten like it should be, and this movie is like, well, if you're if you're only going to watch 100 movies, you should fucking watch this movie. Fuck. You should watch you fucking the Tahitians be raped and then say that they got married and actually were super happy about it. And it has to be because it's Clark Gable, right? Like, yeah. It can't be for any other reason. Like, I I just don't know. Like, I don't... In terms of, like, the history of cinema, I get it. Clark Gable was a tour de force. He defined... If you want to watch a Clark Gable movie, watch him with the rich girl. Yeah, watch It Happened One Night. That movie is much more entertaining than this one. It's true. And that movie, I still think, is bad and doesn't I think that movie the, is the, bad. Doesn't deserve the lauding that it gets, but... Yeah, no. It even won more Oscars in its time than this, <laughs> this movie <one>. did. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that the only reason this movie sticks around is because it's Clark Gable. I think it's because it's Clark Gable and because it's based off a historical event. But what it is, is just historical revisionism. So you don't have to feel bad yeah, about it. the way we treated Polynesians. So not only does it not get an Oscar, but uh, you should watch It Happened One Night instead. And that movie still doesn't get an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> this This might be... I think, I think I'm think i going to say, am I going to say it? Is this the worst movie we've seen so far? 
I I think this is worse than Cimarron. I also think this is worse than Cimarron. And I think, again, I think part of the reason I think this movie is worse than Cimarron is that this movie is still being lauded as a movie to watch, which makes me actively angry about it instead of passively angry about it. Yeah. And and yeah, I think this is like as much as I hated Cimarron, as much as I hated the Broadway melody, like this is just rotten all the way through. I like I feel like so many of the movies we've watched and such a big part of this podcast is me talking about like sexism. But this isn't sexism like this is literal rape (laughs) in this movie. Hello. I and the part that's horrible, right, is you wouldn't know that's what most of this movie is about because it doesn't. Yeah, and that makes it worse. <laughs> it, it just paints over it yeah. with a broad, white brush. <laughs> Join us next time for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, where we get double-decker. We get, who's back? Who's back? Not Lloyd. Frank Capra. They really betrayed enough. We, they really betrayed enough. And we're going to see Frank Capra a couple more times after this. Before he finally gets his goodbye, take me gentle into the quiet <laughs> yeah, night, please, Frank Mr. Capra. Capra, you, the, you've saved us from Lloyd once. You, you can, can do, do it, it again. again. <laughs> yeah. I've been your critic, Andy yeah. Reyes. Where can I find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at royalty underscore valens. Do you and, do anything else? And and, and hold on, I'm getting there. Dramatic, um, dramatic pauses. You can also find me along with my friend Tony talking about Disney classics um, direct on at direct2.video. And who are you? I've been your critic, Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at Mavis Evergreen on Twitter. And remember, the only boat I want to be on is a boat towards progress. And a shitty golden statue is not an indication <laughs> so is there something bigger than a railroad spike like is there Canal. Oh, jeez. Um. <laughs> <laughs>